Well, good morning. It's always great to uh, be back at Emmanuel. It's great to be back this weekend. Um, thank you uh, for holding my ministerial credentials. Uh, and uh, it's, it's great to um, connect with you through the internet. So often I'm able to uh, listen to the worship services or I pick it up later this, uh, during the week. And uh, then my brother has a great minister in Wisconsin, so I like to listen to him as well. And, um, you know, I, I think about the, the pandemic and how God worked redemptively in the pandemic. And if the devil thought, hey, you know what, I'll shut down all the churches, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that'll be uh, great for uh, the devil's kingdom uh, of evil. Uh, but then thousands and thousands and thousands of worship services are now broadcast throughout the Internet every Sunday. And uh, that's fantastic, and it's a blessing that I get to receive because I can still uh, stay connected with my, <clears throat> with my calling church. Um, so I arrived on Friday, and I want to thank uh, Don and Gert Voss for um, putting me up or putting up with me, whatever way you want to put it. Um, but thank you very much. And, you know, if any of you are ever looking for a good place to stay that's really close to church, right across the street here... I really recommend uh, Don and Gert's place. Uh, it's been fantastic to, to stay with them. Um, the scripture passage today that I want to look at uh, is in Ephesians, and it's part of the conclusion to Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 6, um, verses uh, 10 through 18. Here the Apostle Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I need to take a little drink. I've been battling something, so... And excuse me if I cough a little bit this morning. You know, back when I entered seminary 42 years ago, which is hard to believe, everything in American Christianity was relatively calm, or at least that's the way it appeared to me. And when I was in seminary, there was kind of a shift from an emphasis on systematic theology to biblical theology. 
And churches at that time were saying, let's, let's have a little less doctrinal preaching and a little more exegesis of scripture passages and how those passages would then apply to daily life. When I was ordained in 1984, there seemed to be some scripture passages that would be difficult for me to preach about. They, they seemed to be speaking about the first century and the experience of the first century, things that, that didn't feel pressing on me or even American Christianity in general. One of those verses um, that really pointed this out and stuck out to me was in 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 13. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And at that time, I didn't feel like I was being persecuted. I didn't feel like persecution of Christianity in America was even on the horizon. And so these passages and others seem to speak to the historical experience of the first century church. Well, around 1990, the time that I was here at Emmanuel, there were changes in the landscape of American Christianity that were beginning to come into focus. These changes were reflected in a book uh, written by a man named Kenan Callahan, and the book that he wrote was called Effective Christian Leadership. And Callahan used the image of the home court in basketball. For many of you, you know that the home court in basketball is considered a tremendous advantage, more than in any other team sport. And he used this example, and he said, Christianity in America no longer has a home court advantage. The crowds don't cheer for us. The crowds don't always celebrate a victory on behalf of Christianity. He said, now Christians are playing some away games in American culture. People don't always root for us. They're not always cheering for us. In fact, there are times where Christians are not even listened to. It's hard to get a hearing. Christians aren't even always acknowledged as important. Well, now 32 years after the writing of that very prophetic book, we now know we definitely do not have a home court advantage. And times for American Christians are becoming more and more challenging by the day. Not only does American culture not cheer for us, not only do they not root for us, but American culture is beginning to be more and more hostile and sadly even violent towards biblical Christianity. So now the experience of the first century Christians is now becoming our experience. And what the Apostle Paul wrote in uh, 2 Timothy about everyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted is more and more becoming true. The Apostle Peter in 
in uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 12, says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering as though something strange is happening to you. It's not strange anymore. These trials are becoming more and more real every day. If you look at the internet at all, you will see several articles about attacks, physical attacks upon places of worship increasing all the time. Back in May, I went to see my son Brian, who lives in Irvine, California, for his birthday, and he goes to this huge church called Mariner Church, has 30,000 members, five services every weekend. But when we walk onto the campus, the first thing that you see are the law enforcement officers that are staged there to protect that campus. Five services on the weekend. Irvine police is there to guard those services. When the draft opinion of the Supreme Court was leaked, there were a number of attacks on places of worship and pro-life centers. Two of those attacks took place near my home, near Portland, Oregon, where a pro-life center was bombed and burned. And in many of those situations, the words, if abortion is not going to be safe, neither are you, is spray-painted on the sidewalks and on the buildings. Recently, three members of the Tampa Bay Rays baseball team said that they were not going to wear the gay pride logo on their uniform, and they uh, cited religious exemption for that. ESPN commentator Sarah Spain in June uh, 6th wrote that they are bigots for not wearing the gay pride logo, and she said that religious exemption should never be used as a form of bigotry. Notice she's speaking about promoting tolerance by being intolerant of anyone who disagrees with her and intolerant of those who want to exercise their First Amendment right to exercise their religion without fear. Recently, I came upon a term called Christian nationalism. I thought, what is that? And so I started doing some research on that, and I found that Christian nationalism is a blending of Christianity and democracy and a distortion of both. And this is what it said. The article said, Christian nationalism is desiring Christian principles be lived out in American life. It often overlaps with and provides cover for white supremacy and racial subjugation. It's a cover for supremacy and racial subjugation. Now, supremacy has become a real buzzword in American culture. White supremacy, white male privilege... Uh, white privilege in general. These are all considered great cultural sins. But you notice where biblical, sometimes called evangelical Christianity, is being wedded together with bigotry. We are the bigots. If you notice online, 
Biblical Christianity is often called radical Christianity, which is another buzzword in our culture. Since September 11, 2001, radical Muslims are distinguished as those who commit acts of terror over against non-radical Muslims who don't do that. And so you see again, Christianity is being wedded together with terms about people who do violent and terrible acts. After the Supreme Court ruling on Roe versus Wade, Barbara Streisand uh, tweeted this, the court used religious dogma to overturn the constitutional right to abortion. This court is the American Taliban. Again, religion, theology, dogma is being wedded with terms about very restrictive, evil, and repressive ways. New York Times editorial Peter Mansell He was talking about the very sad shooting at the school in Texas, and this is what he wrote. American gun culture has been made all the more fanatical because of its ties to Christianity. It makes mass shootings more possible. Now, did you just hear what I said? It makes mass shootings more possible. Possible, but many of our fellow citizens don't just own guns, they believe in them. They believe the stories told about guns, power, their necessity, and their righteousness. Evangelicals have a higher rate of gun ownership than any other religious group. And then the article went on to say that the gun manufacturers that killed 81 people in Las Vegas and Texas, often advertise using biblical symbols or other religious symbols. Now I want to pause for a moment, and I want to make it very clear that I am not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that Christians should be associated with any supremacy movement or any form of bigotry toward any person or any groups of people. From the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1, it says that human beings are made in the image of God. And so every person that you meet, every person that you look in the face, you are looking into a mirror. You should see yourself. That person across from you is an image bearer of God, just as you are an image bearer of God. Every person Every group of persons should always be treated with the utmost respect. The gospel is that God so loved the world that he sent his son. And we as Christians should also so love the world. And we should be the ones proclaiming the grace, the love, the mercy, the reconciliation, the power of the gospel just like the first century Christians did. However, from the very beginning of our nation, faith in general and biblical faith specifically has always been associated with the solutions to the problems of our world. But now, as I pointed out through many examples, biblical Christianity is being associated with the cause of our problems and the long-standing source of the problems in America. 
this shift from being solution to cause and source is what is connecting us with the first century Christians because that's what they went through. Roman culture in the first century determined that Christianity was an evil that needed to be extinguished. And Christians lost their businesses, they lost their homes, they were imprisoned, they were martyred. How, does, how has this happened in America? Why is this happening in America? Well, when Paul wrote this book to the Ephesian Christians, he was in prison for his faith and for what he did in Ephesus. And this book is part of what we know as the prison epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. Paul worked in Ephesus uh, for about three years. We read about his ministry in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And from Ephesus, Paul did missionary work throughout all of Asia Minor. In 2005, our family had the privilege of, of being in that part of the world on vacation. And it was a tremendous vacation about ancient history and, and even biblical history. And when we came to the ruins of Ephesus, uh, it's shocking the idolatry in the immorality that existed in that city in the first century. You know, uh, Brian and Mark were teenage boys, and as we're walking through the ruins of Ephesus, I felt like I just kind of needed to keep my hands over their eyes all the time for the things that, that were displayed there, blatantly displayed of the idolatry and there was all forms of sexual immorality. In the center of the city of Ephesus in the ancient world was the temple to the goddess Diana. The Romans called her Diana, the Greeks called her Artemis, and in that temple there were female prostitutes, female priestesses, and, and throughout the whole city there was all kinds of any form of sexual immorality you could think of. So what prompted the Apostle Paul to write this message from prison and what, what eventually led up to him being martyred? Well, it's in chapter 6, beginning at 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The spiritual powers. That Paul uses this phrase also in the book of Colossians. In the older translations, it was principalities and powers. Maybe some of you remember those words. Principalities and powers. Now, I want to point out, as I did earlier, these are not people. These are not image bearers of God with us. They're not people that deserve our respect at all times, even though we may disagree with their views or their choices. These are not people Paul is talking about. What does he mean by these principalities and powers? Well, I actually did my master's thesis on, these, on this phrase, and what I wrote was that 
the theologian Hendrikus Burkhoff probably had the best understanding of what Paul was talking about by these principalities and powers. What Paul is describing here is demonic influences, influences of Satan that work in structures of society. So we have political structures, judicial structures, educational structures, family structures, economic structures, any structure of society that you can think of, and the devil is hard at work in those structures making war against the kingdom of God and the cause of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's doing even today. So verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, and it's now, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Now I could talk about several ways in which the principalities and powers are working today and I'm just going to mention one. What the principalities and powers are doing is working through structures of our society to redefine what sin is. To redefine sin. Now, historically, sin, or what is immoral, has been decided within the sphere of religion and associated with the Ten Commandments. So the first four, Ten Commandments, tell us about God, how we are to speak about God, how we are to worship God. But it's a great cultural sin today to attempt to define God. And God forbid that you suggest that you know who God is. It's a great cultural sin to define God. Today... People like to be spiritual, which means that they have some association with some outside power in their life, usually in nature, but they get to define God and they get to define what is moral in their life. Commandments 5 through 10, how we are to love one another. Parents in our society today, are not to be honored. They are to be blamed. Murder? It's okay to murder, especially if it's a law enforcement officer or you can attempt to murder a Supreme Court justice or you can threaten violence against people. That's okay as long as those people will not bow to the cultural, secular agenda, then it's okay to do that. All sexual preferences, we saw that in our report to Senate this year on human sexuality, that, that it's, all forms of sexual immorality are practiced in our country uh, every day. It's, it's common. It's a cultural sin to suggest that there is a standard of sexual immorality. In fact, we are told that we have to not only accept but that we need to celebrate everyone's sexual preferences and choices. And if we don't, that's a sin. Stealing? Don't worry about stealing. 
In my area of the country, in Seattle, in Portland, you can steal whatever you want. And it's actually a criminal defense to say, well, I I needed that, what that other person has. And that makes it okay. Don't worry about bearing false witness. Truth doesn't matter anymore in our culture. What is important is that your narrative is put forward. Some of you remember after the 2020 riots and the tensions of those riots, there was a black police officer in Los Angeles that reached out to the basketball player LeBron James and he wanted to talk about how can we work together, how can we reduce all of this tension. And LeBron's people got back to the officer and said, no, LeBron is not going to meet with you because it doesn't fit his narrative. So the truth doesn't matter, working together doesn't matter, being positive and affecting society in a positive way doesn't matter, what matters is people's narrative. So today, sin, what is moral and immoral is being dictated to us by politicians, celebrities, sports figures, and biblical Christianity is disdained. But the Apostle Paul doesn't want us to uh, feel defeated. The Apostle Paul has good news. He had good news for the church in Ephesus. He had good news for us. How do we defeat these principalities and powers? Well, the Apostle says it begins with our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he talks about that in Ephesians 1 verse 3. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And it's not what humans think is wisdom. It's not what humans think that they need to do, but it is what God does. And so in verse 4, what did God do? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 1 verse 7, in him, in other words, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You see, it begins with your relationship with God through all of the blessings that he has given us in Jesus Christ. That's how we begin to fight the spiritual battle. And then chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, a familiar passage, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. You see what God is doing for us in his grace. And we need, now after our relationship with God, we need spiritual power to fight the spiritual battle. And so if you look in in chapter one, at verse 18 through 21, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, and by know he means you may experience, the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and now listen to this, and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power 
is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I get goosebumps every time I read that verse. And you know when the first time I ever read this verse and and really it, it stood out to me? I was working for a funeral home in Grand Rapids, Michigan when I was in seminary. I was like, oh my word. The power that God exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead is for us who believe. We're on the winning team. It doesn't matter what culture is saying about what sin is. It doesn't matter if culture doesn't cheer for us or root for us. Or We are the winners. We are on the winning team because of our relationship with Christ and the power that he gives us, the power of the resurrection. Now, the attacks of the world are to be expected. But what is particularly painful and sad for me and something that I've experienced a lot in the last four years working with chaplains is the friendly fire that's coming against biblical Christianity against from those who call themselves Christians that historically have been our brothers and sisters in Christ. The reason that the world is using terms like radical Christians and Christian nationalism is that the world is, is trying to make distinctions between biblical, evangelical Christians, those who stand with the word of God, and people who call themselves Christians but have adopted the secular cultural agenda. In the town in which I live, there's a Presbyterian pastor. Both she and her husband pastor a church in my town. She's on my Facebook page. And this is what she posted on Facebook, following Jesus, standing up for reproductive justice for all. Did you get that? Following Jesus, standing up for reproductive justice for all. Her husband was holding the familiar sign, keep abortion safe and legal, and she was holding a sign that says abortion is health care. Brothers and sisters, this is the position of the Presbyterian Church USA since 2018. It's also the position of several other big denominations, the Episcopal Church, the United Church of Christ, a large minority of the United Methodist Church, and what surprises me, at least in my area, is a large number of Roman Catholics. The other thing that is happening is the acceptance among people who call themselves Christians, the acceptance of many different ways to God. Jesus is not the way, he's a way. The Bible is not the infallible word of God to many people who call themselves Christians. It's simply a sacred text. It's no better than any other sacred text that's out there. Now, this belief has touched my own family. My niece, my sister's daughter, is a professor of religion at a school in Canada. 
My niece says that Jesus is a way to God, and if that's your way, well, that's great. But there are many ways to God. We're all walking up this mountain towards God, and we all take different paths. Hinduism seems to be her favorite path. She writes books, publishes several books on how the Bible is a man-written document full of anti-female bias. And she writes about how the Bible should be written from a feminist point of view. Are we going to stand firm? Are you willing to stand firm and say that Jesus Christ is not only the only Savior, but also the Lord of your life? Are you willing to say that, as Paul says in verse 14? He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Are you willing to stand firm with the belt of truth? Paul's talking about a Roman soldier. All of his inner garments need to be held together with the belt. The belt is essential. The belt of truth is essential for Christianity. And then in verse 17, he says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is essential for biblical Christianity. Are you willing to stand with that? Now, Paul, long before us, dealt with many religions, dealt with many different scriptures, but in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, he says, And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effects when the time will have reached the fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Jesus. You see, Jesus is the way. It all is put together, holds together, as we acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And then in chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, he talks about the importance of oneness in Christ. And then in chapter 4, he talks a lot about unity within the body of Christ and the importance of all Christians coming under Christ and following Christ. And why is that important? Why is that oneness, why is that unity important? Well, in verse 14, he says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth and love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does his work. See, oneness, unity, it's important so that we stay in the truth so that we have, we do our work. What is the work? You see, all of this is important because we have a very important job to do. And that is in chapter 3, verse 10. His intent 
was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You see, that's our job, to make known God's wisdom to those principalities and powers that make war against Jesus Christ. We have the power of the resurrection working with us, the truth of Jesus, the infallible word of God. All of that is so important. What, I, what we hear too often in churches today is what is important is your finding your truth and living out your authentic self. Show me where that is in the Bible. But what the Bible says is that we are to deny ourselves. Take up our cross and follow him. Those are difficult words. Maybe you don't like to hear those words, but that's what we are called to do. That's going to be difficult as we face and often heartbreaking situations. Those people that we face that call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ. And it may be even more heartbreaking for you as it is with me, as you face people who are literally your brothers and sisters, your children, your nieces and nephews, people you have around you that you love dearly, but they don't believe what the Apostle Paul tells us in this book. In chapter 6, verse 16, he talks about standing firm so that you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. All the flaming arrows of the evil one. They're coming fast. They're coming furious. Are you ready to stand firm? Are you willing to stand firm? Now you may be thinking to yourself, Tom, you live by Seattle and Portland. This is ripping. We're kind of isolated here. None of the stuff that you're talking about really is touching us. Be careful. I'll tell you, the devil knows your house number and the devil knows your zip code. When I was here in, at Emmanuel, I had the tremendous privilege of spending most of my time with the youth. Brenda was one of them. All through high school, she was in my youth group. And young people would come to me, and they would, they would talk about their excitement, their connection with Jesus Christ, and they would be excited about that. And I would say, you know, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Praise God. Now know this. You just put a target on your back. Because if the devil can take out a young believer, if the devil can discourage a brand new Christian, what a great victory for the devil. The same thing is true of small communities that want to stand with the faith. You know, the devil can be in San Francisco. You know, that's not really a challenge for him. 
But to take out a town like Ripon, that's a challenge that he would love to take on. And so he knows you, he's watching you, he's right here. Are you ready? Are you ready to encourage one another to stand firm? Culture will say, you know, take the easy road. Take the loving road with people. The road that Jesus said leads to destruction. Brothers and sisters, the experience of the first century church has arrived. The home court advantage is long gone. We only play away games now. We only live our lives with no one cheering for us and the hostility of the crowd. Are you willing to stand firm? Are you ready to stand firm? Are you able to stand firm? Let me pray for you. Lord God, you know um, how much I love this church. And Lord, I just ask that you would help them to stand firm, be willing to do that, be ready, be able. For we know it's, it's going to come. The devil will not leave them alone. So Lord, bless them, encourage them, strengthen them. Each one, the pastor, their leaders, to recognize the encouragement that we have and the power of God that he has given to us in Jesus Christ. We ask this, amen.